Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Tabernacles 5781 or 2020 for you and I. It began on October the 2nd, this last Friday at sundown, and it extends to next Friday, October the 9th at sundown. As you know, during the month of Tesri, September, October on the Hebraic calendar, this is their first month, okay, of a new year. During this time, Israel celebrates the three fall feasts. As you know, there's seven. There's four in the spring, three in the fall. During the fall, they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. They celebrate the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and they celebrate Tabernacles or Sukkot. We're in Sukkot now. Now, the purpose of Rosh Hashanah, as you know, is to announce the new year, the first of Tesri. It is to present Israel before the Lord at the new year, asking him for his favor for the coming year. The purpose of Yom Kippur is the cleansing of the people and the holy place, to cleanse the people, the nation, and the temple. And then the purpose of tabernacles, or Sukkot, is for them to pause and to remember the deliverance from Egypt, to remember God's protection and provision in the 40 years in the wilderness, and then thanksgiving for the harvest, and it's a time of great rejoicing. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23, and let's look at verses 33, 34, and then 42 and 43, this portion of scripture deals with the procedure, the protocol of tabernacles. I'm only going to pull out four. You can read the others in your private devotion. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 33, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying to them, the 15th day of this seventh month. Now, the seventh month it's, it's Teshri, which is the seventh month on the religious calendar that starts in the spring, the seventh month. But the civil calendar, Teshri, is the first month. They have two calendars, religious and civil. So he's talking about the religious calendar. The 15th day of this seventh month, Teshri, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Drop down to 42. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. For seven days, they will dwell in temporary shelters as they remember tabernacles. I want you to notice in verse 42, live in temporary, say temporary, Temporary shelters for seven days. You see this one here on the screen. This is one that represents what they do in their backyards. They will celebrate tabernacles in a temporary booth. When I was a boy, we used to sing an old gospel song. It was, it was titled, This World is my, Not My Home. Listen to the lyrics. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from hev- heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. 
Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what shall I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. How many remember that song? I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Growing up as a boy, there was more attention given to heaven, eternity, the second coming of Christ. There was more attention given to that. And probably at times, uh, perhaps we got so wrapped up in that that we failed to focus on here and now. But now, today, at times I feel like we're so focused on here and now that we keep our minds or we've, we've, we've failed to teach our young people about heaven and eternity and the second coming of Christ, eschatology, end time events. It doesn't have to be either or, it can be both. Where I do believe that the church is the ecclesia, heaven's congress on planet earth to legislate kingdom business and that we are to take dominion and transform our community. But yet still keeping my eyes towards the eastern sky realizing that there is coming a day that when Christ will return. And there's something about that that keeps you focused on planet Earth. It keeps you aware of eternity and heaven, the second coming of Christ, and the judgment seat of Christ, where I will stand as a Christian and give an account for the deeds done in this life. Those are things that we need to teach our young people, the coming of the Lord. But I want to look at tabernacles maybe a little different than we've ever looked at it before. Let's look at Sukkot, what was taking place here. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles commemorates the 40 years of Israel wandering and living in temporary shelters. In Hebrew, they call this celebration, tabernacles, the time of our joy. The time of our joy. Let me give you four reasons to rejoice today in tabernacles. Go through this real quickly because this is really not what I want to bring to you, but I, I need to give this to you. Four reasons for you to rejoice between now and Friday. Number one, deliverance from our past. Deliverance from our past. During tabernacles, Israel remembers their deliverance from Egypt. Okay, how God brought them out. How many knows it's good to reminisce over all the great things that God has done for you. How God saved you. Do you remember when you got born again? I remember, I remember the day, the place, just almost to the hour when I went to that altar and I gave my heart to the Lord. I remember when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, exactly the day, just about the hour where I was, the exact location. I remember the day when he first spoke to me about preaching the gospel, where I was and the exact location. These are mile markers in my life that I cherish and I'll never forget. I remember. I remember times in my life when he has visited me with powerful, uh, powerful moments where God has dealt with me about things, experiences that I've had in the spiritual realm. These things mark you for life. These are stories that we tell that we pass down to our children and our children's children. Do you remember? what he's done for you. I want you to remember you've been delivered from your past though. You have to remember that. If you don't remember that you've been delivered, then you're nothing other than just a runaway slave. 
And that's the problem with the Israelites. They came out of Egypt, but they never let Egypt get out of them. They stayed in that state of mind and they were just runaway slaves. They never got freed. That's why for 40 years they had to wonder because God had to wait for that generation to die off and their sons and daughters to to be raised up to possess the land. Did you know if you don't get free of your past, it's going to hold you from your future? So here's your statement. Never allow your historical facts overshadow his prophetic promises. Get tongue-tied there. Never allow your, your historical facts overshadow his prophetic promises. His promises are greater than your past. Luke chapter 1, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Notice that, the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. There are people, now this is a word for somebody online or here on the campus, and you need to hear this. So everybody give me your undivided attention. He said, there's a shadow of death. And you need the light to shine on you so that you can get into the pathway of peace. There are people in this room and online that are being tormented by their past. They're being tormented. It's preying upon your mind. Things that you did. Things that you didn't do. Mistakes that you made. Regrets that you live with. Listen to this. There are some living. There are some right now in this room living with a shadow in their mind. That gentleman standing there is trying to live his life. Look at his head is down and he's having problems because there's a shadow out of his past that's looming over him that won't allow him to be the man or the woman that he needs to be. Sons of God, shadows out of your past. There's somebody in this room or online, you got a shadow over your mind. There's a dark shadow that's holding you back from your, your destiny and being your best for God. There's a shadow You need to know that this image of your failure is blocking the vision of your future. That vision in front of you is being blocked by that shadow that's being cast by something in your past. You can't see your destiny. You can't see the pathway that God has for you. What did the Bible say? A man will make his plans, but God will determine his steps. You can't see where to step because of the shadow of your past. Your past and that shadow that it's casting is blocking the vision of your future. You can't see that God would use you. You can't see that God would move in your life because of something out of your past. And I'm here today to tell you during tabernacles like Israel, you need to remember that you came out of Egypt. That God saved you. He filled you with the Holy Spirit. He set you free. He broke that off. The past is done. Listen, that's why it is so important that we in this modern age teach our young people the power of the blood covenant. We've got to teach our kids that there's power in the blood. We used to sing that song, there's power in the blood. And I grew up on that. And some of those songs have such rich theology that we need to pass down to our kids. They need to sing that song, there's power in the blood, because they need that testimony. They need that theology that the blood can set you free. How many are glad for the blood and what it did for you? 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become, say might become. Might become. Aren't you glad 
that he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Aren't you glad that this is a journey? Aren't you glad that you're not finished yet? There's work to be done. You may make mistakes, but aren't you glad that it's a work in progress? That it is a testimony that you're working on. Aren't you glad that there's hope? So repeat after me. In Christ, there's a better version of me. <laughs> there's a better version of me in Christ than what you see. Oh, come on. Come on, when you go out there during the day and you get all ramped up and upset and you play the fool in front of people, aren't you glad that you can walk away from that and say, well, there's a better version of me? Oh, come on. I've seen you in Walmart. Come on. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad when you have a bad day, you can walk away and say, in Christ? That means in my future. That means in him. There's a better version of me. There's a better expression of me than what you're witnessing right now. Aren't you glad of that? It ain't over yet. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on people. It ain't over yet. Number two, we're talking about rejoicing in tabernacles. Thank God I got saved. Thank God he delivered me from Egypt. Number two, provision for our future. Genesis 22, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, and the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Notice that he called the name of the place the Lord shall provide. Now this is in Hebrews, you know, Jehovah Jireh, which means Yahweh, or they would say yod heh they pronounce the vowel sounds because the name God is too reverent. They're, they show too much reverence for it to say it. So, but we call it Yahweh. He will provide or he will see to it. Aren't you glad that yod heh will see to your business? He'll see to it. But I want you to see something here. God is our provider. That speaks to what God can do. Amen? But you need to go a step further with that. God is our provision. That speaks to who God is. And there's a difference. There's a difference between what God can do and just who God is. You see, what God provides comes out of the provision that he is. You see, it's like the scripture that says God is love. There's a difference between saying God, God loves you and God is love. You see, one is what he does, the other is who he is. The fact is, God can't but love. He can't help himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God can't help himself because God is love. That's it. God cannot help himself. God cannot help but love because God is is love. It's not just what he can do. If you talk about what God can do, that raises the question, will he do it? But when you say God is my provision, that means that's who he is by his nature. You see, the Bible tells us that names denote character. His name is Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh will provide or see to it. You see, he can't help it. He just can't help himself. Because he is my provision. He is my Jehovah 
Jireh. Seeing God as my provider leaves the question, will he do it? Seeing God as my provision leaves us with the understanding of his nature. As my provision, Jehovah Jireh can't help but provide. Whatever he gets involved in, he fills the lack. Whatever he gets involved in, he fills the gap. That's just who he is. And you need to step into that revelation that he is my provision. He is my provision, just like with Israel. During the day, he covered them with a cloud and at night with a fire. They woke up every morning to manna or to quail. There was a rock that followed them that belched out water for three million people. The clothes on their back never wore out. The sandals on their feet never wore out. You know what that tells me too? That tells me that for the young ones that grew, those clothes grew with them. For those that had one too many quail, their waistline expanded. God's provision will grow with your destiny. Oh my God, that wasn't in my notes. Listen, God's provision. You see, you start a company and God provides you. think, oh my goodness, but what when I get there? That's okay. When you get there, his provision will be there. His provision will grow with your destiny. The clothes on your back will grow with you as you grow. Oh my God, that's somebody's word right there. Lock it down, write it down, go home with it. His provision will grow with your destiny. So repeat after me, in Jehovah Jireh is everything I need. Oh my God, we may never get through this message. Come on. We're talking about tabernacles and rejoicing. Like Israel, he brought me out of Egypt, saved me, delivered me. Like Israel, he has provided for me. I've got everything I need because he is my provision. So relax. And number three, rejoicing habitation in the now. Exodus 25 verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary. The word sanctuary is to purify, consecrate a place. Purify, consecrate a place that I may dwell. The word dwell means to abide, have habitation, a tabernacle. So make me a place Make me a place and I will dwell with you. If you build it, he will come. But we're building a church more than just this building, but we're building a church within the church. That's why we talk about his presence. And we try to be sensitive to him. We try so hard. We try so hard to be sensitive to who he is and what he wants. Because I don't want God just to visit us. I want God to habitate. You see, people say, well, you know, pastor, you talk about revival. What is revival? Revival is when the glory of God, which is the manifested presence of God. Well, what does that mean? It means that God shows up and he shows off. And so what does it mean, manifested presence, the glory? As with Moses, he said, I'll show you my glory by showing you my goodness. So when God's glory shows up and it settles down into a tabernacle like this, revival means it stays for a season. Okay, it stays. 
And so when people come, they see the goodness of the Lord. What is it? Sinners get saved. People get filled. People get healed. People get delivered. Hope comes. You see, it's the goodness of the Lord. Financial miracles take place. I've been privileged to have been a part of more than one move of God. And I've seen and experienced things. I know what it's like to be in a room when the glory of God comes in. I know what it's like to experience things in a service while I'm praying for people. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to walk on a platform and just his presence is there. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to sweat and foam at the mouth and throw dust in the air. It's just there. It was a sovereign move of God. It was just there. And it stayed there from week to week. And you could walk on that platform and just, it's like stepping in through the veil into the Holy of Holies. And you just experience the presence of God. To, to watch people run to the altar and fall on their, their faces and weep, be broken. Sinners get saved. To see God move, it's just, it's, just it's, it's hard to describe it unless you've been in it. To see miracles, to see miracles, to lay hands on the sick and watch tumors disappear, to see miracles take place, to see God heal people, it's just hard to describe. But that's the glory of God. That's the move of God. And what we want is habitation. We want it where when you step out of your car in this parking lot, immediately the presence of God comes over you. Where some people never even get in the building. It's out there they have an encounter where people will fall to their knees and repent over their sin. Where people will experience the presence of God. Where during the day, people would come by here broken and just say, I just felt compelled to come by here. What's, what's, what, what is it with your church? Where they're drawn into this house. Without Holy Spirit, he said, no man can come to the Father. That's why when we shut Holy Spirit out of our services, we close the door of heaven to the sinners. They can't come without him. They need him. So we want habitation. We want him to habitate. So this is what Tabernacles is about. It's about deciding that we're going to consecrate this place. We consecrate this, this place as a sanctuary. And because of that, he says, I will dwell among you. Okay. That's why, that's why with Israel, God said to them and their camp and their camp, when they were pitching their tents, they were tabernacle, they would tabernacle with him. I've told you many times, the Levites would put their tents around the tabernacle to build a barrier, okay, to protect people from accidentally stumbling into the tabernacle and being struck, and being struck by the holiness of God. So there was a reverence and a sense of protection for the tabernacle. I call it temple guards, to guard the presence passionately, to guard over the presence he would tell Israel to practice sanitation in their, in their tents, in their, in their campground. God said, when I come walking through your camp, he said, make sure you, you practice good sanitation. Make sure you cover up things. 
make sure you have good sanitation because if you don't, it's offensive to me. It was a type and a shadow that here today, we have to deal with our issues within the church and cover it with the blood of the lamb. We have to be careful how we handle each other, how we talk to one another, how we treat one another. We, we have to practice good spiritual sanitation. We have to be careful how we live in our homes. There are certain things on television you don't need to watch. There are certain things on the internet you don't need to go see. You see, you have to realize, listen, I've told you this before, and we're not going to get through my message today, so just relax. I'm going to follow the clock, and we're going to get you out of here. But look, there's times when I'm in my home, when I'm there, you know, you're surfing, and you, you're watching the news, or you're watching something, and, and, and suddenly there's something that comes on, and, and uh, maybe they, there's some foul language. And, and I, I, I've turned the channel before more many times. I've turned the channel before, and I've sat right there, and I've prayed, and I said, Father, I, I, I'm so sorry. Holy Spirit, I know that offends you. Now, let me tell you something, guys. Listen, this is old-fashioned preaching, but I want you to listen to me. How many wants to have the presence of God in your life on a daily basis, okay? I've noticed through the years that we in the church have become very acceptable to foul language coming out of our mouth. I hear Christians using the F word. I hear Christians use it. Now, I'm not, look, I'm not some old traditional legalistic maniac, okay? Listen, but let me, let me tell you something. As a Christian, you don't need to be saying the F word. As a Christian, you don't need to be saying the S word. Listen, there's a limit to this stuff. You need to cut that out. You need to cut that out. You need to realize the image and the spirit that you're releasing on people. You need to, to understand the vile, that vile spirit, that unclean spirit that comes from that. And we as Christians need to get back to realizing that we're carriers of the presence and we need to watch over the presence like the Levites did. And, and I, I don't want to be legalistic, but look, there's just certain things we, we shouldn't do and say and watch. And, 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 but I've been in my house before where I've heard, I've had foul language come across and I would, I just stop and I say, Holy Spirit, that offended you. And that offended me. And I'm so sorry that I let that in my home. So I cleanse my atmosphere of that uncleanness. And I put the blood over my doorpost. You say, well, that's silly. Well, you can think that. But I'm telling you that I want my home to be a sanctuary. Because my Bible tells me if I turn it into a sanctuary, he'll cover it with his canopy. He'll watch over my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my possessions. I've been here for 14 years and thank God my home's never been flooded. It's never been hit by a hurricane and destroyed. Thank God. I appreciate that. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because it seems to be working. I want God's hand on my house. So I'm going to keep that corruption out of there. Keep your home safe. Oh, may eat lunch alone today, huh? We're talking about habitation. You okay? Hang in there. We got to build a sanctuary. Acts 15. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. What does that mean? David's simple tent. Now, this is after, after he attempted to bring it back on a cart, which is, represents the method of the world. He tried to 
you know, he tried to be cool and, and on cutting edge and he, he didn't follow the word and he took the method of the world to, to experience success and somebody died. So then he goes back to the book and he reads the instructions on how to handle the ark, which represents the presence of God. And God tells him it should be born on the shoulders of the Levites. So he did that. He brings it back to Jerusalem, but he put it on a hilltop and he put it in a tent. David's simple tent, like shelter, barely qualified as a tabernacle. And yet he offered God worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for an estimated 36 years. This was called the unveiled worship of David's tabernacle. It attracted and held the attention of heaven for 36 years. So you can look at Moses' tabernacle. You can look at David's. You can look at Solomon's temple. You can look at all, that, all that's through there. And God says, my favorite one is David's tent. It is said it was on a hill. The sides of the flaps, the flaps on the side were raised where you could see it from a distance and you could see the ark and you could see the Levites worshiping and you see the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Unveiled worship. Unveiled worship. God said, that's what I want. That's the habitation. That's the place that I want to habitate. We must restore to America the lost art of entertaining the presence of God. That's why I've said before, all this up here is good and right, and I'm so thankful. Everything that I do with preaching, study, and research, PowerPoint notes, illustrated sermons, everything I do is good and right. We do everything we can to communicate effectively and to do it with excellence. But I fear that we can do church without him. I fear, I fear that we go so far that we lose the anointing and it's solely based on performance. I fear that. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So I'm going to continue to study and research and prepare myself and do everything I can. Use every communicational skill that I can find. Everyone. But I also know that if he doesn't anoint me, nothing will change in people's lives. The power of transformation comes out of the anointing that's upon the word of God. And that transforms people's lives. We're going to do everything with excellence, but more importantly, we want to saturate it. We want to soak it in our prayers. We want to pray over that. We want to, to labor over our services. I was praying yesterday, God, I'm asking you to let your Holy Spirit go out and compel men to come in. God, I'm asking you to anoint the team. God, I'm asking you to fill your house with your glory. God, I'm asking you to move upon the hearts of men. I pray that way because I know that after everything is said and done, if he don't come, ain't nothing I can do to make a difference. I've got to have his anointing. I've got to have his presence. That's what makes a difference in people's lives. And so we've got to, we've got to understand that he's looking for David's tent. Unveiled worship. That's why down here just a moment ago, I was watching people down here worshiping the Lord and I saw the little babies down here just dancing and, and just, just jumping up and down and just having a wonderful time. Don't you ever put your mouth on that. Be careful. Don't, don't, don't. It's like Micah, 
that made fun of David when he came back with that ark. He came in dancing before the Lord. And she said, you have embarrassed yourself. You're a spectacle. You look like a commoner. Because he took off his kingly robe. And he came and he just danced before the Lord. And she made fun of him. And she was barren. And never gave birth to a child that I remember. I think I've got my, right, my lady right and my story right. Listen, you need to understand you need to understand how precious in his sight is the simplicity, the childlike worship of people. That is something very special to him. He said, I choose David's tent. We must restore to America the lost art of entertaining, not people, but entertaining the presence of the Lord. Number four, and we're finished. We're talking about tabernacles. We're talking about how Israel would worship and rejoice during this time. This is called the time of our joy to realize that we've been delivered. <laughs> to realize that, to realize that he will provide and protect for us in the coming year. To know that he wants to habitate with us. He wants to pitch his tent and camp out with us. He wants to be with us on a daily basis. And then last of all, this is the time of our refreshing. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. I preached on this a few years back. And, but, but let me just point out a couple things to you. Because this happened during tabernacles. John chapter 7. On the last day is the eighth day. Understand that they celebrated seven days. But there's what's called the eighth day of tabernacles which eight being a new beginning, okay? The eighth day of tabernacles. So this is the eighth day. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is called Hashanah Rabbah. My Hebrew is a little weak there. It means the day of the great Hosanna. That's what the Jews call the last day of tabernacles, the eighth day of tabernacles. They call it the day of the great Hosanna. What they didn't realize is that the Hosanna, the Messiah, was right there with them. They missed it. Jesus went into the, into the temple on the eighth day of tabernacles, and he's watching what they're doing. You recall the story. What would happen on the eighth day? The priest would go to the pool of Siloam. They would draw water. They would come back to the tabernacle. And some say they poured it around the altar. Some say they poured it on the altar. But whatever the case, they poured the water. So the priest would draw water from the, the pool of Siloam. They carry it back to the temple. The people would follow them singing and, and dancing. The people circled the altar seven times while chanting Psalms 118, crying out, Lord, save us. A priest would pour the pitcher of water on, from the pool of Siloam on the altar. It symbolized winter rain for the next harvest season. Now, oh, listen to this. I, I just found this one yesterday. I never knew it. I've just found it in my research. They would take and they would pour out the water. The priest would take from the pool of Siloam. They would pour out the water. Now, this represented, okay, this represented the coming harvest, the rain for the coming harvest, okay? 
But there are those, if you, this is not in the Torah, it's in the, it's in the historical writings. There are those old Jewish uh, theologians who taught that it also represented the pulling down of the spirit of prophecy. Because this is a prophetic moment of them, for them, for two reasons. They were pouring out the water, symbolizing the coming rain for the coming harvest, and also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the Messiah. So it's a spirit of prophecy. They're pulling down the spirit of prophecy from heaven. And out there is the Messiah watching them, and they don't even know it. And Jesus is watching them going through the mechanics, going through the performance without the spirit. You can have church without the spirit. Okay. So they're going through the mechanics without the spirit and Jesus can't take anymore. And he jumps up and he cries out, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus Christ. Everything they were doing, symbolically, prophetically, he was right there. And he couldn't take anymore. He couldn't take it. During this time, the Jews would take torches and light up. Light up in the temple area. Light up. They called it uh, the illumination of the temple, the light of God's kingdom. And the very next chapter, John chapter 7, is where Jesus saw that and he cried out, I am the light of the world. Jesus was there fulfilling everything they were doing and they missed the day of their visitation. A priest would pour this out. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling there means tabernacle, to pitch your tent. Did you know that there, that there are some Bible scholars, and I'm not going to say all, but there are some Bible scholars who believe Jesus was born on tabernacles because he made his dwelling among us. Tabernacles, tabernacle, dwelling, tent. He was born on tabernacles. This is the time of our joy. This is the time of our joy. When we realize that God delivered us, God provides and protects for us. God is habitating with us and it's a time of our refreshing. Stephen, come help me. It's a time of our refreshing. This is the time right now. Tabernacles from Friday sundown to next Friday sundown is the time for you and I to pause for just a moment. Just a moment and to remember now, remember, this is the closing out of the season of the feast, the seven feasts is closing it out. And so this is a time when Christians should remember last night, yesterday, last night, and even early this morning, as I was working and pulling notes and preparing, I went, I went into uh, on my computer and I pulled out some old songs old songs that were special to me when I first got saved because those songs were like wells that you dig spiritual wells and I'd go back and I'd pull up the water and I'd drink it because I I remember
remember. I remember Sunday night services, draping myself across the altar, weeping before God. Monday night prayer meeting, going in there, 2630 South 11th Street and climbing underneath a, a pew. The sanctuary was darkened. The altar air was lit up. Brother Clendon would be walking up and down. I'd be out there underneath the pew, weeping, seeking God. Just as a kid, so hungry. remember moments of the glory, of the anointing. I remember. I remember. That's what tabernacles is for. To remember he brought me out of Egypt. To remember how throughout my life he protected and he provided for me. Talking about today being Amy's birthday, I remember the night she was born, Mid-County Hospital, there at the old hospital on 365, and how that I watched, I went into the, the surgical suite with Suzanne for emergency C-section about 3.30 in the morning. Wouldn't recommend that to nobody. But I went in and I watched them as they pulled Amy she didn't respond and I stood there evangelist man of God and I watched it's my little baby girl her little body just wasn't responding to life and they said there's a 60% chance she won't make it through the night I couldn't find a scripture couldn't find a prayer. Suzanne was under medication. I was there by myself. I jumped in the ambulance and we transported her to St. E here in Beaumont to the intensive care, the infant uh, intensive care. And I stood out in that hallway at five o'clock in the morning watching them work on my little baby girl. I remember. And here it is today. God protected my family how God provided for my family through the years Suzanne and I traveling and preaching 17 years old go to we, we, we felt called to go to Scotland to, to, on a missions trip and so we went and on the way back, we're in, is it Heathrow Airport in London? And there was a mix-up and we had to change planes, but it ended up, we were standing in the middle of that big airport in London, just kids, and I was $20 short of being able to come home. I was $20 and I didn't, I didn't have a credit card. I, I'm standing there in the middle of that busy airport and my new bride is standing there and she said, well, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. 
and a woman walks up to me and says, here's $20. You see, it's not just that he's my provider, he is my provision. In him is everything I need, even $20. You can say, well, $20 isn't much. It is when you're 17 and you're in Heathrow Airport in London and you can't get home. Habitation, that God's with us. This is the time of our joy, habitation, he's with us. Aren't you glad? And then it's a time to rejoice. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.